Let me get into the Word. Let me ask you a question to begin with. What, what do you think of when I say the word honor? If you've been in trouble with the law, you think, yes, Your Honor. No, Your Honor. What do you think of when I say the word respect? Well, when I mention those two words, you know, most men of church, of a spiritual relationship with the Lord, they think of that Bible verse, wives, respect your husbands. It's kind of humorous, not really, because it's about me, but it's, I was having coffee with a couple of buddies of mine. We were hanging out at Starbucks, and they got to talking about their wives and how great their wives were, how their wives honored them. And I just let them talk, and so I sat there and didn't say anything. And so one of the guys turned to me and said, Mike, what about you? Does Starla respect you? Does she honor you? I said, are you joking? I said, absolutely. As a matter of fact, just the other night, she came crawling to me on her hands and knees. They said, wow. Really? I said, yeah. They said, well, what happened? I said, well, then she bent down and yelled out, come out from under the bed and fight like a man. <laughs> I told you it wasn't very funny, especially from where I, my vantage point under the bed. She may be little, but dynamite comes in small packages. Now, honor can be defined as showing reverence or respect for something. But then the other side of that coin is dishonor and disrespect. And that can be described as holding something as common that deserves our reverence. And sadly, but it seems that our world, and especially here in America, we have lost the concept of honor. You know, there used to be an old adage, an old preacher adage that said, don't preach about politics or sex. Don't worry, you don't have to cover your kids' ears today. But politically, there has never been more disrespect in our country than there is today. I want you to know the reason there is moral lawlessness in our society is because there is no respect for governmental law or civil authority. Culturally, there is no honor for our teachers, and that's why our classrooms have become war rooms. And then, closer to home perhaps, the reason there's pandemonium in your office is because there is no sense of respect or understanding of God's delegated authority in the marketplace. And it's certainly no different in the church. It's like the preacher who started a church and named it Oakwood because he knew eventually there was going to be a split. He was planning ahead. And you see, friend, the reason there's chaos in the church is because there is no respect for God's delegated authority in his house. You see, because we've forgotten that honoring one another is what holds it all together. Respect for our fellow man is what makes society works. And then, on the spiritual side, as Christians, the lack of understanding of honor and submission to God's authority, well, it will end up robbing us of God's reward for us. So today to begin, let's look at 2 John, verse number 8. And the Word of God says, Look to yourselves, that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now, no one wants to lose their inheritance. 
I hope my kids are listening to that. And so we need to make sure that we're living right. And John says to look to yourselves. He says, take heed, review how you're living. And he says, be careful how you're living because it's possible for a person to work their entire life but yet not receive the full reward that God has promised them. It's like the farmer who sweats in the hot sun, planting seed and tending his crops. He fights the weather, he fights the bugs, and then right before the harvest, he happens to make this one wrong decision, and he loses his crop. And so he doesn't get the reward of the harvest because of the wrong choice that he made. And so John says that we need to be careful so as not to lose our reward. And what's interesting is this feast or famine many times happens because of one single life-defining moment. Now, the problem with life-defining moments is that we never know when they're coming, right? We don't realize it's a life-defining moment until it's over. But see, that's why it's so important that we develop a pattern of being obedient to the Word of God even in the insignificant things in our life. Because we never know when those seemingly irrelevant moments, well, they could change the rest of our days. So according to the text, if we don't follow God's word, we might look back and see that we blew a life-defining moment and it cost us the blessing and the reward that God had for us. A case in point of this is in 1 Kings chapter 12. And we see that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is now the king of Israel. And so the whole assembly of Israel comes to the king, and they say in verse, five, verse 4, your father made our yoke heavy. Your daddy was hard on us. They say, make it easier on us, and we will serve you. And so Rehoboam has a moment of sanity, and he says, come back and see me in three days. I'm going to get some advice. Well, Rehoboam consulted the elders of his father, the counselors his father used. And they said in verse 7, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Well, Rehoboam was kind of, you know, he was young. He kind of had it all together. And so he dismissed the advice that his father's counselors gave him. And so then he went and checked out the advice of the guys he grew up with. The millennials of that day, if you will. And their advice was in verse 10, they told the king to tell these people, my little finger shall be thicker than your father's waist. I'm going to make it more difficult on you. I'm going to add to your yoke. And these guys told the king to tell the people, you need to rule over them with an iron hand. Well, so Rehoboam, he listened to his buddies instead of to the wise counselors of his fathers, of his father. And in this life-defining moment, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel rebelled against his rule. With this one decision, Rehoboam's kingdom was ripped apart because he didn't listen to wise counsel and he didn't obey God. And I am sure Rehoboam probably never thought that this was a life-defining moment until it was too late. But we'll never know. But I doubt that that moment was, an, was isolated in that one decision. 
I wouldn't be surprised if long before Rehoboam ever sought the advice from his father's counselors that he had developed within himself a pattern of listening to rebellious counsel. I can just see him sitting around the palace coffee table with his friends sipping some coffee out of a golden goblet, if they had coffee back then. And I can see him pointing his prideful finger, as youth often does, and says, I'll tell you one thing, when I'm king, we're not going to do these dumb things like these stuffy old men are doing around here. And there was a pattern of, that was being developed in his heart of rebellion, of disloyalty, a pattern of dishonor, so, the, so that when it came time to make the decision in that life-defining moment, he had already been programmed to make the wrong decision. And it's because he had created the wrong pattern in his life. And friend, you and I, we all have life-defining moments. It's like when your boss tells you to do something a certain way, but yet you think you're smarter than she is because she's a woman. Hey, listen, I know who runs your house, so you don't pipe up. <laughs> I've read your mail, buddy. She's a woman, so she doesn't know what's going on. I know what's best. But then when your promotion is canceled, you find out that she has some information as to why she wanted it done the way she wanted it done. Or it's like when you're in school and you had an assignment that wasn't near as big a deal to you as it was to your teacher. So you just half-hearted your way through it and you ended up receiving a D. And then you had an aha moment when your teacher was passing out the grades and reminded you that this project counted as much as two regular exams on your semester grade. And you think, if I'd only remembered that that project carried that much weight, if I'd only had access to all the information that my boss had, you see, that's the way life-defining moments come. They're undetected situations that when we respond to correctly, they're, they're, they can be reward or it can just be life just keeps going on. But when, re when responded to wrongly, they leave us lacking in man's favor. But then the worst part is that they can leave us lacking in God's favor and God's blessing. And so if we don't develop a pattern of heeding God's word and listening to wise counsel, we will lose the full reward that God has promised to each of us. But before we can go any further, before we're going to be able to grasp honor and respect in the way that it leads to God's blessings, we have to understand this one very important concept. And if you want to pursue the full reward for God in your life, you have to understand that God, by His very nature, is a rewarder. God is a rewarder. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that God is, and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Now it's very important. Because when I speak of reward, because of our money-hungry culture, everyone automatically thinks of material things. But I want you to know, if Benjamins from heaven are all you're thinking about, you're going to miss out on the blessing and favor of God in every dimension of your life. You can have all the money in the world, but if you're sick in your body and you can't enjoy it, what good is it going to do you? 
Of course, God desires to bless us materially, but life is more than cash and Cadillac and shoes. Well, in case you're here and you don't know about it, my wife has a thing about shoes, and so I have to kind of, um, you know, since, since, you know, I told on her telling me to come out from under the bed and fight like a man, I thought I'd tell about her thing with shoes. In Genesis chapter 15, God introduces himself to Abram. And the word of God says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. How's that for a promise for God, from God? I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, you have to understand, for, or, in order for Abram to believe and perceive and pursue this massive vision that God had placed in his heart, he had to have the truth cemented in his heart that God was a rewarder. How else could Abram grasp that his descendants would number more than the stars in the sky when he didn't even have an heir? He didn't have anyone to leave squat to. And God says that his descendants are going to number, be more than the number of the grains of sand on the seashore. Psalms 19 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. And then verse 11 says, In addition, your servant is warned by them, and there is great reward in keeping them. Psalm 57, verse 2 says, I will cry to God most high who performs on my behalf and rewards me. And so, folks, we must never forget deep down in our heart that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's good. We can grab a hold of that. We say, yeah, we shout amen, but you need to understand something else. There is a huge difference, a day and night difference between God's love and God's pleasure. Let that sink in. There is a difference between God's love and God's pleasure. God loves everyone, even my sister. God loves everyone. God loves the people who curse him. God loves the Buddhist and the Muslim. I want you to know something that may shock you. God even loves President Trump and President Obama. Reconcile that in your kind of weird way of thinking. There is no discrepancy or favoritism in the love of God. But you need to understand something, friend. There is favoritism in the pleasure of God. It's one thing for God to love you, but it's entirely another thing for God to be pleased with you. Remember, God rewards those who please him by seeking him. Psalm 35, 27 says, The Lord takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. So there's a difference between his love and his pleasure. I mean, God still loves me when I disobey him. But he will reward me when I please him. And I please him when I heed his counsel by following his word. So now back to 2 John, verse 8, where we started. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Hmm. 
Well, so logically you would think if there's a full reward, then there can be a partial reward. And if there's a partial reward, I guess there can even be no reward at all. Now, you need to understand that where, what John is talking about here and where he's at in this book of the Bible is that John is speaking to Christians. He's be, speaking to believers. He's not talking about salvation here. He's not talking about heaven or hell. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we see the judgment seat of Christ, and that's where each believer is going to give witness and testimony to the life that we have lived while we were here on earth. And we're going to give an account of the way that we managed our time, our talent, and the way we managed our treasure. Now, just a little bit of, of exposing my own dirty laundry here, um, a little self-confession. With that in mind, I'm a little bit concerned about Matthew chapter 12, 36. That scripture that says we must give an account of every idle word. Because, you know, I really say some pretty dumb things every once in a while. I'm sure none of you do, but, I, you know, in all transparency, you know, I really say some stupid stuff. And so, anyway, I really thought that was a lot funnier than you guys did. And so, you know, just, just pretend I didn't say that. Uh, but anyway, what I'm talking about is at this point where John is talking about losing our full reward, this is not an issue of heaven or hell or my salvation. And at the judgment seat of Christ, my life's work as a believer is going to be placed in the fire. And that purifying fire is going to determine whether or not my life has consisted of nothing but wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be burned up with no lasting eternal blessing, or whether what I have done with my life is going to stand the test of time, and I'm going to receive a godly reward while I'm in heaven. The Good News Translation says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, we will each receive what we deserve. Let me sum it up this way. See, what we do with the blood of Jesus and the cross of the Christ, that is going to determine where we spend eternity. And then the way that we live after we become a believer in Jesus Christ, that's going to determine how we spend eternity. God rewards our lives for fulfilling His pleasure. And we fulfill his pleasure when we walk in obedience to his commands. But you need to understand that while God has promised to reward those who please him with, please him with a reward in eternity, he doesn't wait until eternity to begin to reward his people. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says, For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. God says, I'm going to give you an eternal reward, but when you please me, I'm also going to reward you in the here and the now. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things, prosper in everything, and be in health just as your soul prospers. And as I said earlier, the way we prosper in all things is when we walk in obedience to God's commands. You say, okay, Mike, we've, you know, we, we, we've, we've been quiet. We haven't played on our phones too much up until now. And so wrap it up here. What does respect and honor have to do with receiving the full reward God has for me? 
You know, I'm really interested in receiving God's full, re full reward, but honor and respect, you know, make some sense out of it. Okay, I'll do it. I'll try my best. There's an interesting, interesting situation that occurs in Mark chapter 6, verse 5. And it happens in Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. And the Bible says something very interesting. He could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now notice with me, the Scripture didn't say he would do no work there. If he had said he would do no work there, no problem, because it would have been a matter of his will, and simply just chose in his sovereignty not to do any mighty works in Nazareth and only perform just a few small miracles. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says he could do no mighty work there, which means there was something going on in Nazareth that was beyond his will. It wasn't that he chose not to, it was that he could not. There was a restraining force in Nazareth that kept him from fully doing his mighty work in that place. I mean, think about it. He did amazing works in other places in the face of far greater opposition, so why not in his hometown? I mean, after all, you always want to show off for your mama and your family and your friends. Hey, mom, look at me. It's human nature. Well, Jesus himself gives us the answer. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. The Bible says, When the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing Jesus, they were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the guy that just grew up around the corner? The carpenter? The son of Mary and the big brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? I mean, his little sisters are even here. And the Bible says, so they were offended at him. And that's when Jesus made the statement, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Jesus said, the reason I can't do what I've done in other places is because honor is being withheld from me in my hometown. You see, they were offended that someone they esteemed as common claimed to fulfill Isaiah's prophecies about being the Messiah. They were bothered by that because their kids studied Torah with him in Torah school. He's just a carpenter, they said. How could some average Joe who built my footstool be the one we've been waiting for for so long that's going to deliver us? And see, because they took what was holy, what was sent from heaven and withheld honor from him, who deserved it? Well, he was hindered in his ability to give the people of Nazareth their full reward. So because of that, Jesus laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But Nazareth only received a partial reward. Well, then you look at another group of people in the New Testament. Uh, my personal translation is I call them the idiots. The Bible translation calls them Pharisees. But they were the religious elite of the day. They understood the law. Well, the Pharisees 
or like I call them the idiots, they went a step further. They didn't just withhold honor, they dishonored Jesus. They did things with their actions and their thoughts that disdained Jesus and dishonored him. They accused him of blasphemy for, be, for claiming that he, to be the Son of God. And so I'm sure it's no surprise to you that they received no reward at all. But throughout the ministry of Jesus, everywhere he went, Pharisees were all around. And they saw Jesus performing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's opening blind eyes. The lame are walking. I mean, these Pharisees are in the middle of a miracle crusade every single day, and people are receiving their full reward of God's power in their life. And yet the Pharisees, they see this, and the Bible says they were amazed by it, but none of them ever received it. And all they could do was just dishonor him by saying that his power was from the devil. And friend, let me tell you something. You may have been born on the church pew. You may have spent every waking hour in the church. And you can have a great religious pedigree. And you can be amazed by God's power. You can even be blown away by the greatness of Jesus. But, you don't, but if you don't honor him as a Messiah and the Savior of your soul, you are going to miss out. It's not having a plastic Jesus on your dashboard that's going to get you your reward. Or get you to heaven for that matter. It's when we honor him as the Lord and Savior of our life. So Nazareth withheld honor and only got a part of what God wanted to give them. The Pharisees totally dishonored him and received no reward at all. Now remember what John said, be careful, examine yourself so that you don't lose those things that you work for, so that you can experience the full reward that God has for you. Now, you know, Christmas is going to be here before we know it. And I figure probably week after next, Walmart and uh, Hobby Lobby are going to have their Christmas decorations out. And so anyway, so I'm going to get a head start. I'm going to talk about a part of the Christmas story here for just a minute. In Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph, they bring baby Jesus to the temple. And there they encounter an old guy named Simeon, who some scholars say is 113 years old. What's interesting is when I was researching this the other day, I read something by another biblical writer, and he says that now they think Simeon was a young man. Which goes to prove one thing, they don't know. So if it's not black and white or red in the Bible, you know, just know that it maybe is, maybe not, but just focus on what's in the book. But for the case of my story, Simeon's an old guy, okay? And so Simeon, this old man, holds this newborn baby in his hands, and he begins to affirm that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. So the question is, what does an old man holding a baby know that people who saw the grown man heal the sick and raise the dead didn't know? Well, verse 26 says that the Holy Spirit revealed the truth of God to this old man. And because of that, there was honor and respect in his heart for the Christ child. Nazareth and the Pharisees, those who walked and talked and saw what Simeon never saw, they just couldn't understand. Why? Because they did not have a heart of honor 
towards Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 29, 13 says, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me, talking about the Savior, the Messiah, and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me, in other words, their reverence towards me, is only taught by the commandment of men. God says you can honor, have honor for him in your doctrinal statements. You can have honor for me in your songs and in your service. You can have honor for me in your written words. You can even say it from your lips. But honor is not an act of the mouth. True honor is an issue of what is in your heart. Nazareth withheld honor and received a partial reward. The Pharisees totally dishonored him and received no reward at all. But I want you to know that some people are going to honor Jesus with their whole heart and their whole mind in total obedience and total surrender, and they will receive a full reward. You remember the Roman centurion who pleaded with Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. And Jesus says to him in Matthew chapter 8, verse 7, I'm going to come and I'm going to heal him. And the centurion responded, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, you and I would say that. Lord, we're not worthy to have you come into our house. I need to hide some books and magazines, and I need to put some things up before you come, Lord. Oh, yeah, no, none of us, right? Yeah, no, none of us would have to do that. But this is a Roman centurion. The conqueror is speaking to the conquered, saying, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. I mean, what would make a Roman officer talk to a Jewish carpenter? Romans thought Jews were dogs. What would make this Roman talk to this Jew and tell him, I am not worthy? Well, the centurion said in verse 9, For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, this man... Even though he was a Roman, he had a heart of honor and respect, respect towards Jesus. And he's saying to Jesus, I understand that what you say happens. I understand that what you do sets miracles in motion, so you just say the word and it will be done. When the centurion said, for I also am a man under authority, it shows that he believed Jesus was a man under authority, under heavenly authority. He saw it. He perceived it. He knew what the religious leaders of that day couldn't see. And what's amazing about it is that Jesus comments, and he is marveled at this Gentile Roman soldier's faith. In verse 10, Jesus says, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. When he said this man has greater faith than all of Israel, do you realize what he's saying? He's saying this guy has more faith than John the Baptist. He's saying that this guy has more faith than my mother, Mary. He has more faith than the 12 disciples. Jesus said, no greater faith have I seen in Israel. Now think about that with me for a minute. It's no doubt that Mary and the 12 disciples and others that followed him, they knew more of the word, they had spent more time with Jesus, they had seen more miracles, but yet they lacked the great faith of a Gentile Roman soldier. 
So what was it that distinguished the faith of this man over all the others actually in the house of Israel? It's because he understood honor and respect. And he showed that when you couple the understanding of honor with an understanding of God's delegated, delegated authority, and you have respect for the holy things of God, deep down in your heart, God will give you the key that opens up heaven for you to receive your full reward. You see, it's not only hearing the word that produces faith. It's when you hear the word and you supplement that with honor and compliance to God's authority, that's when you have the faith to receive a full reward. Now here's the point of this message. God says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall lightly be esteemed. Friend, the key to receiving from heaven is wrapped up in respect and honor. But yet, as I mentioned earlier, as a people and as a country, it has never been more disrespectful and less honoring than it is in the day in which we're living. People don't respect each other. Young people don't respect adults. People don't honor those in authority over them. And as a nation, we have forgot that honor has a reward. And what's really sad is that many places, the attitude of disrespect and dishonor has even crept into the church. We are really quick to jump up on our soapbox and thump our Bibles and quote the part of Deuteronomy chapter 28 that says we'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. Or as Starla says, blessed in the mall and blessed on Amazon. Just depends on your interpretation. We're quick to point out the Lord will make us the head and not the tail. We absolutely want and claim our full reward. But we are so quick to skim over verse 1 of that passage that says, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, if you obey my commandments, that is when my blessings are going to overtake you. It's when we obey him, when we honor him, when we respect what he says, that is when we will receive the full reward that he has for us. Now, most of us, if not all of us here today would say, well, I honor the Lord. I mean, after all, I'm here, aren't I? Well, yes, you're here, but why are you here? Are you here out of respect and love, deep love and admiration for the Lord and what he's done for you? How he lifted you out of the pit of sin? How many times he's kept that car from running you over? How many times he has saved you from your sins? Is that why you're here or are you here out of convenience because you didn't have anything else better to do? Or are you here just out of duty? Well, it's Sunday morning. This is what I do on Sunday morning. How many times have we said, well, you know, oh, man, I'm sleeping so good. I don't think I'm going to go to church today because of this or that or something else. 
You know, the ball game went to extra innings. I'm watching this show. I'm watching, you know, the whole season of this show on Netflix. And, and so I just got carried away watching too many shows. And so it's late I'm, and I'm tired. So I'm not going to read my Bible and pray tonight. Hmm. Is God really the first thing we think about when we get up in the morning? And not saying, oh, Lord, it's morning. That's not what I'm talking about. Do we open our eyes and say, good morning, Lord. Thank you for keeping me through the night. Thank you for being the Savior of my soul. And then is he the last thing that we think about when we go to bed at night? Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul the Lord will keep and mean it with all the love and respect that we have in our hearts. Is our Christianity real or is it just a game? Now, I know this doesn't apply to everyone. I know it doesn't because I know that some of you honor the Lord with your whole heart and your whole mind. And I know God blesses you for doing that. But friend, if you don't, if you don't, I urge you, I urge you, I pray that you would realize that the greatest thing that could ever happen in your life is to bring your life into spiritual alignment under the lordship and dominion of Jesus Christ and honor and respect him as a person, as the savior of your soul, and honor and respect his words that they give life. Because God said, for those who honor me, I will honor. Bow your heads with me if you would. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says, If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Friends, if we truly honor God with our whole hearts and respect his authority in our lives, that's when God will move miraculously in our lives. And when our hearts and priorities are where they should be, there's going to be no greater environment there's going to be no greater platform for God to establish his kingdom, to establish his promises in our sickness, in our lack, in our families, in our lives. That's when God will show up. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that's here today. Lord, I pray that you would create a heart of honor inside each of us. And Father, I pray as pastor of this church that you would create a culture of honor in the heart of this church. And Lord, help us not only to honor your words and to honor you, 
But Lord, let us again find the respect and the honor to be able to show those we come in contact with every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. With your head still bowed, please. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm not inviting you to join a religion. I'm not inviting you to join a church. But I would love to invite you into a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to be your friend. But so many times we just think of him as something that's ethereal off some far place away that just does bad things. And if he's really real, why do bad things happen to good people? That's why you need to come to know him. To understand him, to understand his character. Because he loves you. He will be closer to you than the air you breathe. And that's the type of relationship that I'm inviting you into. I mean, you may have been in church your whole life. But at this very moment, you know that you're not following him like you should. Well, today you need to honor Jesus with your life. And with your whole heart. And so if you're here today and you need to be born again, you have sin in your life that needs to be forgiven, I would ask you to raise your hand as a testimony that you need to be forgiven. Thank you, yeah. Allow God to create a heart of honor inside of you. And it begins when we confess our sins. Are there others? God bless you. You may put your hands down. Would you stand with me, please, all over this room? Elders, would you come? Take your place at these sacred benches. Friend, I want you to know if there has ever been a time for the miraculous power of God to touch someone's life, it's right now. And these altars are open. I invite you to step out, to come, and to receive what God has for you. Because I assure you, every person here, God has something special for. God arranged for you to be here today. And so don't walk out of here without receiving what God has for you. The singers are going to create an atmosphere of worship. And we're going to turn this room into a room of prayer.